Chapter Seven of Religio Medici and Hydriotaphia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Religio Medici by Thomas Brown. Part Two. Sections One through Six. Section One. Now, for that other virtue of charity, without which faith is a mere notion, and of no existence, I have ever endeavoured to nourish the merciful disposition and humane inclination I borrowed from my parents, and regulate it to the written and prescribed laws of charity. And, if I hold the true anatomy of myself, I am delineated and naturally framed to such a piece of virtue for i am of a constitution so general that it consorts and sympathizeth with all things i have no antipathy or rather idiosyncrasy in diet humour air anything i wonder not at the french for their dishes of frogs snails and toadstools nor at the jews for locusts and grasshoppers but being amongst them make them my common viands and i find they agree with my stomach as well as theirs i could digest a salad gathered in a churchyard as well as in a garden i cannot start at the presence of a serpent scorpion lizard or salamander at the sight of a toad or viper i find in me no desire to take up a stone to destroy them i feel not in myself those common antipathies that i can discover in others those national repugnances do not touch me, nor do I behold with prejudice the French, Italian, Spaniard, or Dutch, but, where I find their actions in balance with my countrymen's, I honour, love, and embrace them in the same degree. I was born in the eighth climate, but seem to be framed and constellated unto all. I am no plant that will not prosper out of a garden. All places, all airs, make unto me one country i am in england everywhere and under any meridian i have been shipwrecked yet am not enemy with the sea or winds i can study play or sleep in a tempest in brief i am averse from nothing my conscience would give me the lie if i should say i absolutely detest or hate any essence but the devil or so at least abhor anything but that we might come to composition if there be any among those common objects of hatred i do contemn and laugh at it is that great enemy of reason virtue and religion the multitude that numerous piece of monstrosity which taken asunder seem men and the reasonable creatures of god but confused together make but one great beast and a monstrosity more prodigious than hydra it is no breach of charity to call these fools it is the style all holy writers have afforded them set down by solomon in canonical scripture and a point of our faith to believe so neither in the name of multitude do i only include the base and minor sort of people there is a rabble even amongst the gentry a sort of plebeian heads whose fancy moves with the same wheel as these men in the same level with mechanics though their fortunes do somewhat gild their infirmities and their purses compound for their follies but 
as in casting account three or four men together come short in account of one man placed by himself below them so neither are a troop of these ignorant dorados of that true esteem and value as many a forlorn person whose condition doth place him below their feet let us speak like politicians there is a nobility without heraldry a natural dignity whereby one man is ranked with another another filed before him according to the quality of his desert and pre-eminence of his good parts though the corruption of these times and the bias of present practice wheel another way thus it was in the first and primitive commonwealths and is yet in the integrity and cradle of well-ordered polities till corruption getteth ground ruder desires labouring after that which wiser considerations contemn every one having a liberty to amass and heap up riches and they a license or faculty to do or purchase anything section two this general and indifferent temper of mine doth more nearly dispose me to this noble virtue it is a happiness to be born and framed unto virtue and to grow up from the seeds of nature rather than the inoculations and forced grafts of education yet if we are directed only by our particular natures and regulate our inclinations by no higher rule than that of our reasons we are but moralists divinity will still call us heathens therefore this great work of charity must have other motives ends and impulsions i give no alms to satisfy the hunger of my brother but to fulfil and accomplish the will and command of my god i draw not my purse for his sake that demands it but his that enjoined it i relieve no man upon the rhetoric of his miseries nor to content mine own commiserating disposition for this is still but moral charity and an act that oweth more to passion than reason he that relieves another upon the bare suggestion and bowels of pity doth not this so much for his sake as for his own and so by relieving them we relieve ourselves also it is as erroneous a conceit to redress other men's misfortunes upon the common considerations of merciful natures that it may be one day our own case for this is a sinister and politic kind of charity whereby we seem to bespeak the pities of men in the like occasions and truly i have observed that those professed eleemosynaries though in a crowd or multitude do yet direct and place their petitions on a few and selected persons there is surely a physiognomy which those experienced and master mendicants observe whereby they instantly discover a merciful aspect and will single out a face wherein they spy the signature and marks of mercy for there are mystically in our faces certain characters which carry in them the motto of our souls wherein he that can read a b c may read our natures i hold moreover that there is a phytognomy or physiognomy not only of men but of plants and vegetables and is every one of them some outward figures which hang as signs or bushes of their inward forms the finger of god hath left an inscription upon all his works not graphical or composed of letters but of their several forms constitutions parts and operations which aptly join together to make one word that doth express their natures by these letters god calls the stars by their names and by this alphabet adam assigned to every creature 
a name peculiar to its nature now there are besides these characters in our faces certain mystical figures in our hands which i dare not call mere dashes strokes a la volée or at random because delineated by a pencil that never works in vain and hereof i take more particular notice because i carry that in mine own hand which i could never read of nor discover in another aristotle i confess in his acute and singular book of physiognomy hath made no mention of chiromancy yet i believe the egyptians who were nearer addicted to those abstruse and mystical sciences had a knowledge therein to which those vagabond and counterfeit egyptians did after pretend and perhaps retained a few corrupted principles which sometimes might verify their prognostics it is the common wonder of all men how among so many millions of faces there should be none alike now contrary i wonder as much how there should be any he that shall consider how many thousand several words have been carelessly and without study composed out of twenty-four letters withal how many hundred lines there are to be drawn in the fabric of one man shall easily find that this variety is necessary and it will be very hard that they shall so concur as to make one portrait like another let a painter carelessly limb out a million of faces and you shall find them all different yes let him have his copy before him yet after all his art there will remain a sensible distinction for the pattern or example of everything is the perfectest in that kind whereof we still come short though we transcend or go beyond it because herein it is wide and agrees not in all points unto its copy nor doth the similitude of creatures disparage the variety of nature nor any way confound the works of god for even in things alike there is diversity and those that do seem to accord do manifestly disagree and thus is man like god for in the same things that we resemble him we are utterly different from him there was never anything so like another as in all points to concur there will ever some reserved difference slip in to prevent the identity without which two several things would not be alike but the same which is impossible section three but to return from philosophy to charity i hold not so narrow a conceit of this virtue as to conceive that to give alms is only to be charitable or think a piece of liberality can comprehend the total of charity divinity hath wisely divided the act thereof into many branches and hath taught us in this narrow way many paths unto goodness as many ways as we may do good so many ways we may be charitable there are infirmities not only of body but of soul and fortunes which do require the merciful hand of our abilities i cannot contemn a man for ignorance but behold him with as much pity as i do lazarus it is no greater charity to clothe his body than apparel the nakedness of his soul it is an honourable object to see the reasons of other men wear our liveries and their borrowed understandings do homage to the bounty of ours it is the cheapest way of beneficence and like the natural charity of the sun illuminates another without obscuring itself to be reserved and caitiff in this part of goodness is the sordidest piece of covetousness and more contemptible than the pecuniary avarice to this as calling myself a scholar i am obliged by the duty of my condition i make not therefore my head a grave 
but a treasure of knowledge. I intend no monopoly, but a community in learning. I study not for my own sake only, but for theirs that study not for themselves. I envy no man that knows more than myself, but pity them that know less. I instruct no man as an exercise of my knowledge, or with an intent rather to nourish and keep it alive in mine own head, than beget and propagate it in his. And in the midst of all my endeavours, there is but one thought that dejects me, that my acquired parts must perish with myself, nor can be legacied among my honoured friends. I cannot fall out or contemn a man for an error, or conceive why a difference in opinion should divide an affection, for controversies, disputes, and argumentations, both in philosophy and in divinity, if they meet with discreet and peaceable natures, do not infringe the laws of charity. In all disputes, so much as there is of passion, so much there is of nothing to the purpose. For then reason, like a bad hound, spends upon a false scent, and forsakes the question first started. And this is one reason why controversies are never determined, for, though they be amply proposed, they are scarce at all handled. They do so swell with unnecessary digressions, and the parenthesis on the party is often as large as the main discourse upon the subject. The foundations of religion are already established, and the principles of salvation subscribed unto by all. There remain not many controversies worthy a passion, and yet never any dispute without, not only in divinity, but inferior arts. What a hot skirmish is betwixt S and T in Lucian! How do grammarians hack and slash for the genitive case in Jupiter? How do they break their own pates to salve that of Priscian? See for it in Terus Videret Democritus. Yes, even amongst wiser militants, how many wounds have been given and credits slain for the poor victory of an opinion, or beggarly conquest of a distinction. Scholars are men of peace, they bear no arms, but their tongues are sharper than Actius' razor. Their pens carry further, and give a louder report than thunder. I had rather stand the shock of a basilisco than in the fury of a merciless pen. It is not mere zeal to learning, or devotion to the muses, that wiser princes patron the arts, and carry an indulgent aspect unto scholars, but a desire to have their names eternized by the memory of their writings, and a fear of the revengeful pen of succeeding ages. For these are the men that, when they have played their parts, and had their exits, must step out and give the moral of their scenes, and deliver unto posterity an inventory of their virtues and vices. And surely there goes a great deal of conscience to the compiling of an history. There is no reproach to the scandal of a story. It is such an authentic kind of falsehood that with authority belies our good names to all nations and posterity. Section 4 there is another offence unto charity which no author hath ever written of, and few take notice of, and that's the reproach not of whole professions, mysteries, and conditions, but of whole nations, wherein by opprobrious epithets we miscall each other, and by an uncharitable logic, from a disposition in a few, conclude a habit in all. Le mutin anglois, et la bravache escossois, le bougre italien, et le fort françois, le poltron romain, le Larron de Gascogne, l'Espagnol superbe, et l'Allemand 
Ivrog. St. Paul, that calls the Cretans liars, doth it but indirectly, and upon quotation of their own poet. It is as bloody a thought in one way, as Nero's was in another. For by a word we wound a thousand, and at one blow assassin the honour of a nation. It is as complete a piece of madness to miscall and rave against the times, or think to recall men to reason by a fit of passion. Democritus, that thought to laugh the times into goodness, seems to me as deeply hypochondriac as Heraclitus that bewailed them. It moves not my spleen to behold the multitude in their proper humours, that is, in their fits of folly and madness, as well understanding that wisdom is not profaned unto the world, and it is the privilege of a few to be virtuous. They that endeavour to abolish vice destroy also virtue, for contraries, though they destroy one another, are yet the life of one another. Thus virtue, abolish vice, is an idea. Again, the community of sin doth not disparage goodness, for when vice gains upon the major part, virtue, in whom it remains, becomes more excellent, and, being lost in some, multiplies its goodness in others, which remain untouched, and persist entire in the general inundation. I can therefore behold vice without a satire, content only with an admonition, or instructive reprehension, for noble natures, and such as are capable of goodness, are railed into vice, that might as easily be admonished into virtue, and we should be all so far the orators of goodness, as to protect her from the power of vice, and maintain the cause of injured truth. No man can justly censure or condemn another, because, indeed, no man truly knows another. This I perceive in myself, for I am in the dark to all the world, and my nearest friends behold me but in a cloud. Those that know me but superficially think less of me than I do of myself. Those of my near acquaintance think more. God who truly knows me knows that I am nothing, for he only beholds me and all the world who looks not on us through a derived ray or a trajection of a sensible species, but beholds the substance without the help of accidents, and the forms of things as we their operations. Further, no man can judge another, because no man knows himself. For we censure others, but as they disagree from that humour which we fancy laudable in ourselves, and commend others, but for that wherein they seem to quadrate and consent with us. So that, in conclusion, all is but that we all condemn, self-love. Tis the general complaint of these times, and perhaps of those past, that charity grows cold, which I perceive most verified in those which do most manifest the fires and flames of zeal, for it is a virtue that best agrees with coldest natures, and such as are complexion for humility. But how shall we expect charity towards others, when we are uncharitable to ourselves? Charity begins at home, is the voice of the world, yet is every man his greatest enemy, and as it were his own executioner. Non oxides is the commandment of God, yet scarce observed by any man, for I perceive every man is his own atropos, and lends a hand to cut the thread of his own days. 
Cain was not therefore the first murderer, but Adam, who brought in death, whereof he beheld the practice and example in his own son Abel, and saw that verified in the experience of another, which faith could not persuade him in the theory of himself. Section 5 There is, I think, no man that apprehends his own miseries less than myself, and no man that so nearly apprehends another's. I could lose an arm without a tear, and with few groans, methinks, be quartered into pieces. Yet can I weep most seriously at a play, and receive with a true passion the counterfeit griefs of those known and professed impostures. It is a barbarous part of inhumanity to add unto any afflicted party's misery, or endeavour to multiply in any man a passion whose single nature is already above his patience. This was the greatest affliction of Job, and those oblique expostulations of his friends, a deeper injury than the downright blows of the devil. It is not the tears of our own eyes only, but of our friends also, that do exhaust the current of our sorrows, which falling into many streams, runs more peaceably, and is contented with a narrower channel. It is an act within the power of charity, to translate a passion out of one breast into another, and to divide a sorrow almost out of itself. For an affliction, like a dimension, may be so divided as, if not indivisible, at least to become insensible. Now with my friend I desire not to share or participate, but to engross his sorrows, that, by making them mine own, I may more easily discuss them. For in mine own reason and within myself I can command that which I cannot entreat without myself and within the circle of another. I have often thought those noble pairs and examples of friendship not so truly histories of what had been, as fictions of what should be. But I now perceive nothing in them but possibilities, nor anything in the heroic examples of Damon and Pythias, Achilles and Patroclus, which methinks upon some grounds I could not perform within the narrow compass of myself. That a man should lay down his life for his friend seems strange to vulgar affections, and such as confine themselves within that worldly principle, charity begins at home. For mine own part, I could never remember the relations that I held unto myself, nor the respect that I owe unto my own nature, in the cause of God, my country, and my friends. Next to these three I do embrace myself. I confess I do not observe that order that the schools ordain our affections, to love our parents, wives, children, and then our friends. For, excepting the injunctions of religion, I do not find in myself such a necessary and indissoluble sympathy to all those of my blood. I hope I do not break the fifth commandment, if I conceive I may love my friend, before the nearest of my blood, even those to whom I owe the principles of life. I never yet cast a true affection on a woman, but I have loved my friend, as I do virtue, my soul, my God. From hence, methinks, I do conceive how God loves man, what happiness there is in the love of God. Omitting all other, there are three most mystical unions, two natures in one person, three persons in one nature, one soul in two bodies. For though indeed they be really divided, yet are they so united, as they seem but one, and make rather duality than two distinct souls. Section 6 
there are wonders in true affection it is a body of enigmas mysteries and riddles wherein two so become one as they both become two i love my friend before myself and yet methinks i do not love him enough some few months hence my multiplied affection will make me believe i have not loved him at all when i am from him i am dead till i be with him united souls are not satisfied with embraces but desire to be truly each other which being impossible these desires are infinite and must proceed without a possibility of satisfaction another misery there is in affection that whom we truly love like our own selves we forget their looks nor can our memory retain the idea of their faces and it is no wonder for they are ourselves and our affection makes their looks our own this noble affection falls not on vulgar and common constitutions but on such as are marked for virtue he that can love his friend with this noble ardour will in a competent degree effect all now if we can bring our affections to look beyond the body and cast an eye upon the soul we have found out the true object not only of friendship but charity and the greatest happiness that we can bequeath the soul is that wherein we all do place our last felicity salvation which though it be not in our power to bestow it is in our charity and pious invocations to desire if not procure and further i cannot contentedly frame a prayer for myself in particular without a catalogue for my friends nor request a happiness wherein my sociable disposition doth not desire the fellowship of my neighbour i never hear the toll of a passing bell though in my mirth without my prayers and best wishes for the departing spirit i cannot go to cure the body of my patient but i forget my profession and call unto god for his soul i cannot see one say his prayers but instead of imitating him i fall into supplication for him who perhaps is no more to me than a common nature and if god hath vouchsafed an ear to my supplications there are surely many happy that never saw me and enjoy the blessing of mine unknown devotions to pray for enemies that is for their salvation is no harsh precept but the practice of our daily and ordinary devotions i cannot believe the story of the italian our bad wishes and uncharitable desires proceed no further than this life it is the devil and the uncharitable votes of hell that desire our misery in the world to come End of chapter 7